if I can do it, you can do it. If I can grow stronger from it, so can you. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. I would like to point out that today's episode has some difficult subject matter. We discuss sexual assault, drug, and alcohol abuse. Please be advised, it may not be appropriate for certain ages. One in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18 years old. 34% of people who sexually abuse a child are family members. 12.3% of women were age 10 or younger at the time of their first rape or victimization and 30% of women were between the ages of 11 and 17. In this episode, we are going to address a very serious problem that exists not only in the United States, but across the world. We're gonna hear one woman's incredible journey with constant trauma from childhood through being an adult and how she overcame. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. This is that thing about triumph over tragedy. I'd like to welcome to this week's episode Marlies R. Hardiman. She's a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a life coach. Marlies is the 2019 Chrysalis Award winner from Project Women for her commitment to ending domestic violence and lifting the voice of survivors. She's the founder and CEO of Transformation Speaks, Principles for Life Transformation. She came from living on the edge of darkness, toxic relationships, alcohol abuse, and wanting to end her life to victory over life's challenges. Thank you for sharing your journey of overcoming with us and welcome to the program. And thank you for having me. And that's quite a journey that you've come through. First of all, kudos and congratulations for where you stand in life. You're now strong, you're confident, and you're empowering. And that's what One More Thing Before You goes all about. And your message, if, if I can read it correctly, is I will overcome whatever you throw at me. Yes. And as we talked about before, I, was, I am a retired police sergeant. I worked in domestic violence for a long time. So mental and physical abuse situations are unfortunately typically only known to those keeping the secret and the first responders that are privy to it. I applaud you for coming forward and I sharing your story in order to help others. I like the fact that you state you're a survivor, not a victim, and that you are giving a voice to those that don't think they have one. And I know this sounds like an obvious question, but why is talking about these subjects so important? As I say, so many people either feel like they can't or shouldn't talk about what they've been through. And what I found is that you can't heal until you kind of rip the bandage off and expose all of the ugliness, the pus, and allow that air to kind of get to it and begin that healing process. So I really, I try to, by sharing my story, let other people know you can do that too. And it's not something special about me, but if I can do it, you can do it. If I can grow stronger from it, so can you. That's unbelievable for a child of five years old. It's unbelievable for you that you came through this so much, but especially for a child at five to go through this. Yes, it is. Especially, I mean, reading your story, your life journey started at five. Right. At five years old, we had moved. Actually, it probably started at birth because my fa- my mother left my father because he was physically abusive to her. And in her attempt to escape, she removed herself from the violence, but she threw me into a world where I was going to be sexually assaulted and physically violated. We moved to a 
town away from our home. So, but when we moved there, I got to slow it down. Um, when we moved there, a family friend, she was married, she had her children, and they told my mom that she could come and stay there. Well, it was actually me and my sister and our mother who moved. We moved in with them. I never understood what poverty was until we moved there because they didn't have enough. And then what they did have, they shared with us. And it took my mom a lot of time to get a job. So while we were living there, from the age of about five, six to about eight, the husband physically abused me. And I can remember it was probably my sixth birthday that stands out to me the most because that was the first time I ever got a gift since we left my father. And I was just so excited. We had a birthday party and it was just her kids and and us. But that was great. I got my own piece of pizza. I didn't have to get hand-me-downs. You know, it was like something from Walmart. Wow. And when it was that evening, it was time for me to get my bath and go to bed. And when I had went to the restroom to take my bath, I could hear someone messing with the door. And so I thought, oh, you know, I just forgot to lock it and and went to go and lock it. But as I went, I felt the door being pressured and he pushed the door open. And I can remember falling down next to where the toilet was and that smell of urine to this day. I mean, my smell is heightened because that just stays with me. And I lay there by the toilet as he sexually assaulted me. And I remember when he said, if you scream, if you holler, those people will come and get you and you'll never see your mom again. That's a tragic situation for a young child. Most people would not understand or even fathom the idea that that can happen to a five-year-old. Yeah. Most people are blinded to that, close their eyes to that. And there's a lot, unfortunately, they don't believe that. <clears throat> so in regard to some of that, you know, in investigating sexual assault in the past, what do you think are some of the myths involved with that type of sexual assault, especially being the age that you were? That you get over it. That young children, people would used to tell me, you know, you're resilient, you'll get over it, but you don't get over it. it it's there. I That idea that you would rather, people tend to think because sexual assault happens at a young age, that you would rather be away from your family and safe than in that environment for a child, that's not true. Most children will suffer the abuse in order to stay with people that they think or feel like they love me. And if I leave them, I'm going to be all by myself. So they'll be quiet and accept the abuse in order to stay connected to family. And it causes such from the event, I developed a psychological disorder. And I, because I experienced it so often, my body would just go numb. Anytime I got afraid about anything, I could be taking a spelling test. 
And I would feel my body go numb because that's how it decided to um, deal with the pain, deal with the agony. And people think that, you know, kids just grow up and they move on. They just until the healing actually begins and they're able to work through it, they don't heal. And um, oftentimes what I, you know, I've done research and I've talked to like prosecutors and most of the people who all, almost every pedophile has been um, sexually assaulted. It, it, people don't see that connection. That they're victims, victimizing victims. And until we we address that, it will never stop. It's, in my opinion, and I think some of the research that I have found out, uh, basically that creates um, you suffered from PTSD. Right. You do. You, you, most people, that when they hear PTSD, they think of a soldier or they think of a first responder, a police officer, a firefighter. But it, it's not just that. It's any individual that has suffered any type of a trauma or an incident that creates a psychological yeah. environment that will stay with you. Sometimes people can learn to work through it. Other times people will learn not learn that, that yeah. those tools to be able to work through the PTSD. And it continues to affect them both physically and mentally, yeah. which I know we'll get back into later because I think that you ended up, you know, the, it, as, as your life progressed, um, I think that from what I understand, you got into some environments where you you were self-sabotaging, so to speak. Yeah. And that's directly related to the PTSD that started back. And I'm not a doctor. I'm just familiar with it. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. And so during that time, the wife of the husband that was sexually assaulting me, they began to argue. And I could hear the arguments and I could hear my name. But because she was unable to convince him to stop or whatever she was trying to do, she then started abusing me um, as far as I would sit in a hind catcher's position for hours for being late to dinner or if it was lunchtime or my mom was gone and I came, I washed my hands last or and I was the last one to the table. I would not get lunch in the traditional sense that here's your plate. I had to wait until everyone ate and then I ate their scraps and that was lunch for me. Was that a choice that you had made or was that a choice that they put you into? It was a choice. It was like if you want lunch, you eat what's left. We're not making you lunch. You were late. So as a child, how did you learn to cope with that or understand how to cope with that? As a kid, I, I cried a lot. I, I, I cried a lot. There were thankfully teachers because back then teachers could take you home with them. So I, I had a teacher who kind of took me under her wing. Um, she didn't have any kids and I think she knew what was going on. And because I was part of that whole integration and there was, you know, that was a little black kid. So we're, you know, we're not going to do a whole lot about it, but she would take me home and 
she would feed me and comb my hair and, you know, buy me clothes. And so she kind of kept me safe. So it was like I knew like maybe every other weekend or once a month I was going to go to her house and I could just relax and be safe. And that became what I did until I turned eight to, to deal with the all the stuff that was happening kind of give you a sense of normalcy right that you didn't really have well kudos to that woman that that was a very nice thing for her to do it's unfortunately that that you had to experience all of that but very nice that you had somebody that paid attention to it yes and i when we turned when i turned about nine we finally moved out of her house and got a home of our own and for a while things you know, got better because I wasn't being exposed to that. I got to begin to live a very normal childhood. And then when I turned about 16, because I would never spend the night with anybody, I, I, you know, you just, no, I don't want to do that. And a friend of my mother's it was her birthday and she had asked me to babysit. And immediately I was like, no, not doing it. And my mother convinced me that, you know, it's her friend. She knew it would be safe. I'd be okay. And so I went. And when I went, they came home drunk. She went upstairs. He came where I was on the couch and um, decided that, you know, he he was going to, and this one gets hard. He was going to do what he wanted to. I remember him stuffing money in my mouth and telling me to shut up and not say a word. And he, he raped me. He didn't, I mean, it, you know, um, and then he went upstairs and I can remember rolling off the couch, blood being everywhere and crawling on my hands and knees with money in my mouth to the bathroom that was downstairs. I took the money out of my mouth and covered my mouth and I I just cried. I, you know, there was nothing. I couldn't tell my mother. I couldn't tell anybody because history had already told me that. So I just, you know, cleaned myself up, wiped off her couch laid on the floor until morning came and just, you know, I said, please take me home. I want to go home. I want to go home right now. And she took me home. I didn't tell her. I just got home, didn't tell my mother. But from that point on, I I made a, a true downward decline. I drank, I smoked, I engaged in sexual activity, which really doesn't make sense, but that's something you do to cope because at least you can control it. That gives me a wide range of emotions from anger to sympathy. I slept with knives underneath my pillow. It was a very dark, dark time when I went to still, um, And I had to really think, and I'm a teacher. That's what I do for profession because it was teachers who rescued me or at least tempted to rescue me throughout this process because I had a government teacher who made it his business to like call and say, "Uh, you come to school today? (laughs) I'm going to call your mom if you don't come to school. So 
you know, I, I, I did what I needed to in school because I realized that was expected of me. So even when I went to college for a long time before I decided what I was going to do, I did the same thing. I took pills to get up, took drunk alcohol to go to sleep. It, it just was a very, very, very bad time until I, and I think the, the turning point for me began to be that point when I finally decided I had a professor who said, okay, what do you, you can't stay in college forever. You have to do something. Cause I was just taking random classes and I kept grades enough so I could take random classes. And I said, you know, I think I want to be a teacher. He said, and he was like, you know what time you got to get up? <laughs> and I was like, "I'm that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a teacher. And so at that point, I stopped doing the drugs and just tried to do the things like have the crazy sexual encounters, you know, very angry, very bitter, um, very violent toward other people as a way to like maintain my control. I just needed to be in control. And about, I want to say, mm, ten, about 10 or 15 years after that, I met a pastor um, who told me I was crazy. He was the first, first, and I was married. And my husband is a great man. He protected me, you know, in my craziness. He's like, leave her alone, don't touch her, you know. If she's doing whatever, you know, if she's hot, she let her dance, leave her alone. I'm going to make sure he gets back to her dorm room. And then I'm going to leave her alone because she's nuts. And, but no one was strong enough to say that to me. Or no one wanted to hear the story to find out why it was not. But this pastor said, was like, you know, I'm going to take you to, through the 12-step program and help you figure out why you're nuts. I think that just answered my next question was, how did you start to learn answers or where did you come up with answers to help you start to move forward in life? And, and that would be when I really began to say, oh, okay. This is what's wrong with me was during that. And he would like give me books and he would let me rant and rave and scream and holler. And his only requirement was, you know, I need you to not to drink and I need you not to smoke and I need you not to go off on people. If you need to go off, call me and you can go off on me. I won't take it personally. And this is the pattern. And this was the pastor, yeah. The pastor. And he started giving me books. And um, because I love to learn, I think that was innate. And I would read. And the more I'd read, I'd cry. And the more I learned, and the more I finally came to the point that um, I I began to heal. And I be, and even before I began publicly speaking, I began, I told my husband this, what happened to me. And I began to heal more. And I was like, wow. And actually, Transformation Speaks comes from a, a lady in Colorado. It was really interesting. Sent me an email with my logo. And she said, God told me to give you this. And at that point, wow. I wasn't publicly speaking. I wasn't, but I never threw it away. I just said, I don't know what he told you, but he told me nothing. Well, yeah, in a sense, he kind of did. 
you think about your husband and you think about the pastor in your life, <laughs> right? Kind of went through that. And um, probably about three years later, I pulled it out and I said, well, you know, I wonder what I'm supposed to do with this. And I was talking with a lady from Project Woman and I shared with her my story. And she said, you know what, why don't you come to this state house? And I went to the state house and I shared my story with um, several of those senators and they were trying to get a bill passed to increase funding for domestic violence victims and they got the money and that kind she kind of started sending me here why don't you go here why don't you go there and before I knew it there you go yeah she, she I'm transformed now <laughs> yeah she transformed your life a little yeah. bit to help others transform their lives right well, that's outstanding. That's pretty cool. What you've been through, you look fantastic. And you got a smile and a glow, which which means you're happy. Yeah. When you're happy, that means you've come to peace with something. And, and that's important. So what you're practicing, obviously, is working. Yeah. I would like to figure out how to sh help share some of that in some of the tools that you used maybe in order to get to that point. So I know that you've got through your principles of living you have some outstanding programs that you implement to help other people move forward in their life. And I'd like to kind of learn a little bit about them. Can you help Can you help share some of the tools through maybe the tapestry of, uh, of the survivor? I know that it's very, very difficult for individuals that are in the situations that you were in to come forward, whether or not they be a child or whether or not they be a teenager or an adult. It is very difficult to ask somebody for help. And it's difficult to recognize what you're going through as something that needs in, in, in an environment that they need to be removed from so that they can have a more positive path in life. So from that perspective, let's talk. Tapestry, a survivor, really is that process that I went through to go from victim to victor, tragedy to triumph. And I talk about, the, about learning how to understand that your trauma is not a statement about you. It is a statement about the person who did it, the, the perpetrator. Um, because oftentimes people's identity is kind of caught up in that event and it becomes what were you wearing that made that person attack you? What were you saying? What were you doing? How did you behave? And the first thing is to understand it has nothing to do with what I was wearing, what I was doing, or how I behave. Because it's about the person trying to take something from you rather than you just giving it away to them. When the second time I was assaulted, I had on jeans and a shirt. It was at night. I slept in my clothing. So, and nothing was tight fitting. And he still assaulted me. One of the talks I did for um, Project Woman, we talked about it was, what were you wearing? And we showed the different things that women had on, like sweatpants, to say it has nothing to do with what you're wearing. So the first step in tapestry is like understanding it's not about you. Your assault was not about you. And when you can get there, we come, the next step would be, okay, now the hard step, you've got to forgive that person and you've got, so you can let it go. I personally believe 
that when you learn how to forget and forgiveness doesn't mean I got to reconnect with you and we got to be friends and I'm going to act like it never happened or excuse the behavior. It means I'm simply cutting the cord of pain that is connecting you to me and allowing you to continue to even if you're not physically there, but spiritually kind of walk around in my environment. So even when I go out into the sun, you're you're standing there behind me, behind me and your shadow keeps me from being at peace, keeps me from just enjoying who I am. So I, the next step is learning to forgive and understanding all those things don't mean you're saying it's okay. It's like saying it's your fault. It's about you. Now I'm going to let you over there and I'm going to be over here. The third step is about gaining your voice back, learning how to just tell your story. Because until you forgive, And until you realize it's not about you, you can't really tell your story because you'll get lost in it and you'll retake on all that hurt and all that pain. But the more you tell your story and you get it out, the more you rip the bandage off and you allow healing just to really get in there and do what it was meant to do. So you and and it allows you to begin to move past your pain when Jeff, who is my husband, when he was protecting me and I was able to tell him my story, I could learn. I learned the next step. Move on. You can't stay in your pain. You can't. I can't stay being five years old. I can't be five years old forever. I can't be 12, 16 forever. I have to move on. And once I'm able to move on, I get to that final step. I can reach back and grab somebody else and take them through that same process. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I, I keep trying to reach back and pull people who are still living in their pain to where I'm at because I know this is a better place and you'll be happier here. So now let me reach back and get you. And unfortunately, in our system, when I when it happened to me, it was taboo. So you didn't talk about. It. Now everybody talks about it, but the society is kind of anesthetized to it. It's like it's not really important. Unfortunate, but it's true. And you see things on TV that promote that type of behavior out of people. You hear music that promotes that type of behavior out of people because and now people still don't want to talk out, don't want to speak up because I call it the new face of sexual assault. It's on the Internet, date rape, hookup sex. All of those things are sexual assault, just repackaged. They're creating a normalcy. Right. And the normalcy allows people, the society, to ignore it because they think it's a normal action and that it's okay for it to take place. I am a father of two daughters. As I said earlier, I was a police officer for a long time. I retired from there, but I worked so many domestic violence cases I did it for a reason. I chose to be on the domestic violence task force. It was my choice. It wasn't just an assignment. They said, who would like to do this? And I volunteered. I feel that as a father, 
in a, in a husband. I'm a little overprotective with my daughters. Um, obviously, my wife can take care of herself, um, but she knows I'm here for her for anything. But our daughters are out of state. I can still take care of them to a point. But um, in, in those particular situations, we are constantly concerned about those environments. She goes, Dad, you're overlooking it. Dad, you're saying too much. Dad, you know, you're kind of smothering me a little bit. It's like you're going on a date. Well, and she'll probably ask me to cut this out. <laughs> I want to try a new date. I've just found this new person. I went, okay, I like a picture and his name, what he drives, you know, yes. where he lives. And she's going, you got to stop being a cop. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm being a dad. And I just happen to to want to make sure that you're safe. So your story makes me angry as well as, as sympathize, as well as happy that you've overcome it because I know where you've come from because I've seen it and I've seen it not in a book, not on TV. Right. I've yeah. seen it firsthand. And, and when you look in the eyes of somebody, you can tell, you can just tell. When they say the eyes are the soul, right? I mean, you know, the eyes are the gateway to the soul. That's the truth. You can see it. You, you're right. And and you know what? I'm. I have God knew what He was doing. I have five boys. I have four boys, and um, He knew that I didn't need a daughter because I, <laughs> you know, be net. And they tell me, any, I mean, mom, you know, like they never spent the night with anybody. I mean, we never went And my husband would be like, well, we're going to go date night. Yeah, but we need to go pick them up, you know, before the night's up. won't be no spending the night. With me. And they never even got to spend the night with their friends. Because I just was, you know, that's the damage was done to me. I was going to make sure that didn't happen. You know, if someone's going to damage them because they yelled at me, it's going to be me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. I, I understand completely. Okay, you've got two programs, is that correct? Yes. One of them, um, I think, is living life on your terms, regardless of what has victimized the person. You equip people with the skills and the strategies that will aid them in turning their life from trauma to triumph. And I'm kind of intrigued about this. So, can you help maybe some of our listeners understand how that might help them through what they're going through? Okay. That particular program is mainly aimed at young ladies. Um, I've done it in colleges. I've done it in high schools. I go into um, juvenile detention centers and speak to their women, their young ladies. And we talk about what it means to live your life on your terms that okay. you need to learn how to say no and mean no. That no and yes are not the same thing. So if you say no, no means no. We talk about the aspect of social media and that there are certain things you should not be posting on social media. It's not that you can't wear it. It's just you don't need to put yourself out there. Because unfortunately, we live in a society who thinks, who might think it's you're saying you want certain kinds of behavior because you're wearing certain kind of things, even though that's not true. Um, we also, I talk to them about dating, that they need to be conscious about what they're eating, 
what they're drinking because unfortunately, especially in colleges, people put Mickeys in drinks all the time. And then you will find yourself in a situation that you don't want to be in. So you need to be very conscious of what you're eating and what you're drinking. And don't go to a party and just start drinking the juice. Bring your own pop in your purse and drink that or just or wait until you get home because your safety is paramount. We talk about the idea that when you're young, pressure is put on to you to do certain activities that you may not want to do, like take pictures or be involved in sex acts. And they'll say, well, if you want to be popular, then you'll do this. Um, So we talk about what is more important to you being popular or being having your own safety and feeling secure and how to say, I'm not doing that. And even how to report it and who to report it to so that that doesn't continue to happen. So that living life on life's terms is really about young women who before they get themselves in trouble, trying to give them tools that they can use to stay out of it, to to not get into that mix. When you go to college, you're not trying to get, you know, anything but an education. That's positive. Too many things, especially in social media today, the way they glorify right. influence. You know, being an influencer, everybody wants to be an influencer. And I want to, I want to make a million dollars being an influencer. And what do I have to do to be an influencer? When you look through Instagram or you look through Twitter, you look through uh, Facebook, you look through Snapchat or any of those others. Uh, disclaimer, I'm not blaming any of those social media platforms because everybody has a choice to do what they do. And they, I know they do have some protocols that are put into place to help protect some of that. Um, the opportunity arises for too many situations to go bad, whether it be inappropriate relationships or stalking and or dangerous opportunities arising for somebody's safety and well-being. So that's a positive thing. For those individuals that are afraid to take the first step, what would you recommend that they do? What kind of tools would you suggest to them to help them manage their fear of moving forward in, in being able to take that first step to get some help? The first thing is just realizing you're not alone. You would be amazed to find out how many teachers, doctors, lawyers, police officers, the girl next door who um, have experienced some level a sexual assault. So understanding you're not alone in this. Um, that's the, you know, the mantra today with COVID. But you're not alone in sexual assault. So understand that when you open up to seek help, you're probably going to speak to somebody who can relate to what you're feeling. Understand it's not just a woman, a woman's thing. It's a man thing. It's a boy thing. It's a rich person. It's the poor person. It's not about education. It's not about economics. I mean, it happens in every facet of life to anybody in life. So take comfort in knowing that it's okay. It's going to be okay. That as you seek help, there are lots of resources 
out there that are there to give you help. All you have to do is that first step. And the first step is just saying, I need help. You don't have to tell the story. You can just say, I need help. And I will provide some resources for the individuals out there that may be listening to this or will be listening to this to give them some resources that they can reach out if they are so inclined and if they are in a situation that they feel is detrimental to their own safety and well-being. Thank you. Where can some of those individuals out there who are seeking answers on how to transform their lives so that they can proclaim themselves as a survivor find you? Okay, I have a website it's called transformationspeaks.com. I also have an email and it's transformationspeaks, all one word, um, at yahoo.com. I have a working number, 937-797-7616. You can call me. I, I am open. You, we can talk, we can chat because I also do life coaching. I will walk with you through this process and hook you up with people who are professional psychologists who can help you work through the part that I can't. I didn't need that, but that doesn't mean that everybody doesn't need that. So we can do that. You can find me on Facebook. I'm servant leader Marlise Hardiman. Or there's also a wall called Transformation Speak. I'm on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, all under Transformation Speak. So you can catch me there. But if all else, email me or go to my website and just send the email through the website. And I promise I will respond. I don't believe in leaving people hanging when they're needing someone to help them get out of that darkness. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's an absolute, absolute 100%. Anybody that's listening out there that feels that they're in a situation that is detrimental to themselves, if you don't feel that you can contact somebody locally, please Contact Marlies. Yeah. I've learned that when you go through great trauma, there is great triumph. And um, if you're willing to hold on in the trauma, you there is triumph. There is great reward. There's great peace. As bad as it was in the dark, it will be better, much brighter in the light. Just hang on. You're going to get there. Well, I was just going to ask you if there's anything else you'd like to share with our audience, but I think you just did. Yeah. I will put contact links and the website information for Marlise in the show notes and on my website, which will be linked at the bottom of this episode. Marlise, thank you very much for sharing your personal journey and your triumphs and how to help others achieve the same thing that you have achieved. I really appreciate your time in this and the fact that you were so open with your journey is very personal, and um, I think that you have a lot to offer to individuals that are uh, that have experienced or are currently experiencing any type of this type of trauma. PTSD in regards to sexual assault in any form is a real thing, yes, and it needs to be addressed. Don't be afraid to take the first step. And as I've said in the past, your first step to failure is the one you've never taken. So take the first step, reach out, and talk to somebody. So thank you. Thank you. If you or somebody that you know has been the victim of sexual assault or they're currently in an environment that they are being sexually abused or molested, you can reach out to Marlise or you can reach out to the RAIN.org 
organization. That's R-A-I-N-N dot org. They have a national hotline, 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. When you call that number, it is confidential, and you'll be routed to a local RAIN affiliate organization based on the first six digits of your phone number. Cell phone callers have the option to enter the zip code of their current location to more accurately locate the nearest sexual assault service provider. Calling the National Sexual Assault Hotline gives you access to a range of free services, including confidential support, help in finding a local health facility that is trained to care for survivors of sexual assault, and offers services like sexual assault forensics exams. There will be someone to help you talk through what happened. They'll provide you with local resources that can assist with your next steps towards healing and recovery. They'll have referrals for long-term support in your area and information about the laws in your community. They'll also provide you with basic information about health concerns. It is a safe, confidential service that you just need to reach out to and make the phone call. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.